wanted to jump in before we get into the episode. Apologies for the background noise. I have absolutely no control over that. So yeah, I'm sorry. Um, but I wanted to take a second to let you know that this particular episode comes with a trigger warning. We discuss racism, cultural appropriation, and there is the mention of murder several times. I would also like to take this opportunity to share that my conversations with Madura have been incredibly valuable to me. Not only do I really believe that these conversations should be happening more and we should be educating ourselves, um, it was particularly important for me and valuable for me because it's helped me make peace with a part of my past that was really troubling me. So um, without much further ado, let's get into it. Hello and welcome to the Beat Podcast. You're joined with me, your host, Sabelle. And today I am joined by the absolutely wonderful Matilda Bhagavad. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Very well, thank nice you. You are most welcome. I'm so thankful that you accepted my invitation. <laughs> yeah, it's been a year almost since we last spoke, so yeah. Yeah, and that was also the first time we really spoke as well. Um, so I'm just going to fill people in for those that don't know, and I'm going to refer to my notes so I don't leave anything out. But Madonna, for those who don't know, um, is a, let me get my notes, there they are, a yoga teacher, therapist, educator, and yoga teacher training course curator. I don't know why that was so difficult for me to say them. Um, <laughs> Madhura is also an Ayurveda practitioner and educator, a women's wellness and self-care coach. Uh, Madhura also holds a double bachelor in politics and law and holds over 3,000 hours of formal training and going on 15 years of your, I would like to say your commitment to living yoga. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um. I do want to ask you one thing just out of like simple curiosity. How much masala chai have you had today? This is my third cup right now. (laughs) (laughs) I miss masala chai. I genuinely do. Yes. Yeah. I heard you say it in, um, I can't remember whose podcast it was that I was listening to. Probably Ruth. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It made me laugh. It, it, I mean, I'm Indian and Indians yeah. love their chai. So. Yeah, as, as a fellow Indian, <laughs> I also love. I, and I just this year learned how to make it for myself. And that was kind of, it was great, but also dangerous because now I drink it a lot. Yeah. 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 It can be quite addictive. Very. <laughs> but what keeps, I'm quite caffeine sensitive, so I can't have more than two cups. That's my limit. Which is good because then I have to like really enjoy what I have. Okay, so um, oh, my internet connection is unstable. You can still hear me, okay? Like, I think it's frozen. I'm fine. I can hear everything. Oh, okay. Sorry. You froze for just a few moments. Yeah. And I was like, no, she's not moving. 
<laughs> okay, we're back. That's fine. Um, something I wanted to bring up. Okay, I think it's probably easy to start at the beginning. So, the beginning is really, from my perspective, the murder of George Floyd and how that instigated all that it did. And I feel there was such a huge knock-on effect in terms of all the conversation that came to the forefront um, via Black Lives Matter and how that affected other cultures and ethnicities and arenas. It really just, this whole wave really affected everything as far as I could see and experience. And it was quite an intense time, understandably so, I think. Whether, regardless of what I think, um, it happened the way it happened. But out of that came a set of conversations that were very interesting. And, I, and even on the whole, I'm glad these conversations got brought to the forefront. And people started to understand or were coming to understand or curious about cultural appropriation and coming to conversations of decolonization. And you've been at the forefront of those conversations within the yoga world, the yoga industry. And it's almost as if you've been training for this your whole life. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a role that you've stepped into willingly and gone, right, I'm gonna, I am going to do this? Or has there ever been points where it's, it's felt so challenging that you kind of wanted to go, um, what am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? Mm -hmm. How has it been for you? It's interesting that you linked George Floyd's incident with, you know, all these topics around cultural appropriation and oh. racism and everything within your communities coming up last oh. year. Uh, but for me, those who do not know me, in yeah. fact, I have been running teacher training programs for last seven years now a little more than seven years and it so happens that in every single philosophy class of mine the history and the origins these are the topics which were always discussed so in fact I was quite surprised when I moved to the UK last year mm -hmm. to see it happen for the first time because I have been speaking about it for last seven years in my teacher training programs now it's it's important to know why I even got into the teacher training program in the first place yeah I would love to. So, <laughs> as far as yoga journey goes, um, if if you must have known, my surname is Bhagavat. Uh, yeah. So basically, my forefathers were kirtankars or the preachers of the Gita. So the philosophical part of it has always been part of my upbringing. So it was nothing new to me. It was compulsory, in fact. Yeah. However, I went to a convent school in India. So uh, my school had a cathedral. So I had to study the Bible and I know everything about Christianity as well. Wow. But then when I was in college and when I was studying uh, my first graduation, which was politics and international politics, mm -hmm. often, you know, probably you would know this, Indian parents are, if you're doing just university, you're just not doing anything else in your life, you're whiling away your time. So without even asking me, my mom got me enrolled in the government of India's course, which was a full-time diploma or in yoga teaching. Mm -hmm. And I was barely 18 and wow. she's not happy. I was genuinely not happy. Yeah, I can imagine you're already at uni. 
Absolutely. You have your hands full. <laughs> I mean, not really. <laughs> fun. But yes, I mean, yeah. you know, and, and, and always in India, there was this uh, idea that only old people did yoga. Yeah. Uh, but if you're young, you were into Zumba and Pilates and aerobics and all sorts yeah, of yeah. those activities. <laughs> so I wasn't happy at first, but then I finally uh, started to enjoy the training because I didn't have a choice. She had already paid for the entire course. So wow. I had to- <laughs> But then that developed a different kind of interest in me. And I started doing the next course, which was a diploma in yoga therapy, naturopathy and natural living. So basically these two courses went alongside my three years of graduation mm-hmm. uh, while I was in my university. After that, I went on to study law and then I had my own place in Mumbai. So I would teach uh, in my center and then I would study, then I was working for some time. Now, while all of this was going on, I I remember, I think I was around 22 or 23, I'm not sure. But that time, I used to also travel to different parts uh, within India, as well as Asia, Mm -hmm. just doing teacher trainings. And it was not because I ever wanted to teach. It was only for my personal interest, because I was happy with law. I was happy with what I was doing there. But the more I got into it, I started to realize that in all the trainings that I was doing, the physical aspect was okay. The asana part was fine. But philosophy was either not taught at all. Yeah. Most of the times people didn't know where yoga was coming from. Mm-hmm. They didn't know the history behind that, the origins of it. And it just made me wonder because I was like, when a certain culture is giving you this entire wisdom, we are not, we don't say we own it. But we have given, it's an indigenous culture of Sanatan Dharma, which has given you this entire practice, this lifestyle. Then how can you not even acknowledge that? And when I started to notice all these issues which were going on in many different yoga teacher trainings that I myself was a student in, Mm -hmm. I realized that the only way I could start bringing about that change was if I became part of it. Mm -hmm. So although I was not happy with Yoga Alliance uh, and the way it was back then, now they have made a lot of changes in the last year. uh, Back then it wasn't that great, to be honest. But then I realized that the only way I can make that change is if I get my school uh, registered with them. Mm -hmm. And by that, I would get this opportunity to spread the knowledge of yoga the way I wanted. Yeah especially coming from that very culture. And that was the reason why I started. So cultural appropriation pretty much was the reason for my starting my school, because I noticed those issues going on in many different yoga schools under Yoga Alliance. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was surprised last year when I moved to the UK and when I first saw this topic coming up, I was like, were you blind? Were you sleeping? (laughs) This has been going on for years. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that that's the background behind why it all happened. <laughs> no, I'm glad. I didn't want to ask you to, because ha- having listened to podcasts you've been in, I've obviously right. heard that information. Um, mm-hmm. And I was cautious of, like, asking you to repeat things you've already said, but I suppose you'd be quite used to that, in a sense. I think sometimes it's important as well because, you know, every time with different podcasts, you have different listeners. So I'm absolutely okay with repeating myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's good to know. Um, Yeah, I I guess, not I guess, to kind of reframe bringing up the murder and the death of George Floyd is because in Western culture, 
that was a big wake-up call right um and in light of cultural appropriation as someone who so my my heritage is Indian as well for those that don't know it's not something I wear on my chest um some people think I'm quite racially ambiguous for <laughs> for some reason not many people ever think that I'm Indian for some reason which is fine um but I have born I've been born and raised in the UK um born and raised in Birmingham England specifically and then when I was 19 I moved to Edinburgh Scotland and I lived there for 15 years up until last year and now I've moved back to Birmingham but I I embarked on a yoga teacher training I think it was two yeah 2018 mm -hmm. I yeah embarked on a yoga teacher training and my, my kind of way into it or my decision to do it was because I was in my late 20s and I was working in a cafe and um, I felt very pressured to find what it is I'm meant to do in this life. Mm -hmm. And I was really torturing myself over what my purpose is. Right. And through a friend, I had also done this year of the teacher training the year before I was just like, I I'm just going to do this thing. Um, I'm going to pay a lot of money <laughs> to do this training. And it, looking, I'm through therapy, I've been able to unpack that time and I'm still making my peace with it. Um, but it demonstrates to me how living in a certain way in a certain culture with a lot of privileges I stepped into an arena where I blindly was appropriating my own culture mm -hmm. it was this I it's like I came in this very strange full circle right and I ended up in an area or in an in an arena let's say where um it really exacerbated my inner conflicts that I'd kind of been living with my whole life right and personally the, the two people who are very close to me know this and they were the ones who said it to me to see me go through that teacher training they were like it was quite something to see you to see you put yourself through that mm -hmm. because you almost broke a few times right and when I say break I mean emotionally psychologically spiritually it really had quite an effect on me and like I said it's taken me time to like really understand that time for me and so when I found you on Instagram and was able to talk to you and have some conversation with you it meant the absolute world to me um wanting to speak to someone from your background a fellow Indian who actually listened to me yeah and you were so supportive from the get-go and like I said, it meant everything to me at the time. And it really helped me, again, to understand that time in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, when I left Scotland in March, it's hilarious because it all, it was kind of like, it was like being in the center of a tornado. Everything around me was going crazy. I felt really <laughs> calm. <laughs> um, 
And I remember my mom and my brother coming to pick me up and we packed all my stuff into the car and we hit the road. And I remember just getting onto the motorway and being, well, kind of the motorway, but the lovely Scottish hills we were driving through. And I just remember having this huge sigh of relief inside and this big smile on my face. And my first thought was, thank fuck I don't have to ever teach yoga again. And it's wild to think that that's what I was thankful for. Mm-hmm. That I didn't have to be involved in that again. I could actually, one, I was physically moving away from where I was and the people that I was involved with. But I'd already, it was like I'd already subconsciously made this decision that I wasn't going to teach again. And then in my time away, I've been able to actually give my space, give myself space and time to to come to whatever I needed to come to right but in our conversations you so greatly asked me to having you know told you my experiences you really advocated me for for me to to contact my teachers Mm -hmm. in light of being accountable and responsible and and kind of being true to myself as well Mm -hmm. and I did that and that, that was an interesting experience in and of itself because I contacted them and what I got back, I read over, I, like I, I, I sat with it for a while. Mm-hmm. And what I saw was, I never responded to it because I, I'll come to why, but what I saw was defense, yeah. understandably. And what I felt was, even though it was a well put together email, it was still very reactionary. And what was said in that email made me realize that my previous teachers weren't really in a place to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't respond because I just thought that it's not a level playing field maybe maybe that whatever the conversation I thought we could have Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen and that's okay because I can make my peace with the situation without getting the closure from someone else but it's interesting and even listening to you talk in other podcasts like for example listening to you I think in uh Cora Jury's podcast mm-hmm. um, talk about the history of yoga and the in the in the civilization sorry and again having heard you say a couple of times like surely you would have learned in history and I felt like watching it I was like is someone going to tell my daughter <laughs> like we weren't taught this in our history <laughs> in fact we're barely taught our own history right and it was you know I learned a bit of this history in my own yoga teacher training and at yoga teacher training like the buzz you know the buzz around this yoga teacher training was that it was a proper more well-rounded yoga teacher training that there was a philosophy module that there was a history module but I think a lot of the difficulty like the difficulties of coming with these conversations that you're at the forefront of thankfully because the way I, I really appreciate the way that you bring things forward and the way that you discuss things directly and that you take it back to its root and you take it back to its origin 
Um, like, can you, um, for those that don't know, because you do it so much better than me, can you just share um, a little bit of the history? How, because mm-hmm. you were asked, what um, is yoga Hindu? And then you <laughs> answered the question with a question, and you said, well, what is Hinduism? Yes. So can you share that with me, please? It's interesting that you asked because um, the reason why a lot of times right now, you know, a lot of teacher trainings uh, in the yoga communities are not addressing the history and the philosophy is that there is this huge problem of erasure or cancelling of the roots of yoga. And that is one major problem. Now, As far as uh, yoga's uh, origin is concerned, Mm -hmm. so right now what we know as South Asia, Mm -hmm. that was originally Bharat. So for instance, when I'm speaking with someone back home in in my regional language, I never call the country as India. I always call it as Bharat. In fact, most of my documents, everything they read it as Bharat in Divnagri. So it was the old Bharat, the ancient Bharat. Mm -hmm. And the river, which was flowing on the Northern part of that area, that river was called as Sindhu. And it the culture of the people in that part of the land. Now, today, you know, you could call it as the Indian subcontinent. The culture of that pe- of those people was called as Sanatan Dharma. Mm-hmm. And Sanatan Dharma, Sanatan means something very uh, pure, eternal, and dharma means the way of life. Mm-hmm. So the entire culture, or rather uh, the essence of this culture, was about liberation, self-realization. Mm-hmm. We could name it different things like moksha, samadhi. Yeah. So many different ways of explaining that. Now, what happened was um, yoga was one part of this culture, and the language that these people spoke was Sanskrit. So Sanskrit was the base language, like how we have Latin in yeah. the in Europe. Now, over the last 800, 900 years, the back then, the old Bharat has seen invasion of the Mughals, the Mongols, as you know, they're popularly known. Uh, They came from the Middle East, but they got Islam and Abrahamic religion Mm -hmm. to this part of the land. Now, of course, then, you know, the Indians fought back, a lot of things happened, many people in the country got converted into Islam. So people from the Sanatan Dharma, they got converted into one religion now. Mm-hmm. Then we had British colonization, and with them came the Dutch, the Portuguese, we had French, so yeah. they got Christianity. Now we had two Abrahamic religions, but Sanatan Dharma to begin with was kind of a pagan culture. Because, for instance, like, you know, we worship plants, we worship animals, we worship the nature. Nature is our God. Yeah. Uh, Often people think that, oh, India has got so many gods and goddesses. So it's not true. India does not have many gods and goddesses. It's just that the same energies have been experienced in a different way by so many different people. And that's why they have so many different names. Mm -hmm. Now, yoga being the center of this particular culture, that was the very essence of it. So it would be very incorrect to say that yoga is not Hindu. Now, where does that Hindu word also comes from? In fact, Hinduism is not there in any of our, you know, historical texts. So the river Sindhu, that got mispronounced as Hindu. Mm -hmm. And from Hindu happened the Indus Valley civilization. And from that Indus, now the people who never got converted into different religions, Mm -hmm. how do we name them? They came to be called as the Hindus. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the original culture of the now that the Hindus are called yeah. was Sanatan Dharma. Yeah. Now, why I now, and so yes, it would be right to say that yoga either is part of Hinduism because now they are popularly known as Hinduism, mm -hmm. but the accurate way of saying would be it is part of Sanatan Dharma because that's yeah. what the original name is. Now, what happened was over a period of time in the last few centuries this whole region got divided into many different countries. Mm -hmm. There were partitions and all taking place. And right now, when we say South Asia or Sark nations, yeah. within Sark nations, we have Afghanistan, mm -hmm. Pakistan, Bhutan, uh, Nepal, yeah. India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and Maldives. Yeah. So if I was to believe that yoga is South Asian, I would have to accept that yoga is practiced and the teachings are observed by all these South Asian countries. Which they're not. <laughs> but they're not. Because for instance, Afghanistan has majority Islam because Islam is their main religion, which is okay. Yeah, yeah. Pakistan has Islam. Bangladesh is Islam. Mm -hmm. Bhutan is Buddhism. Nepal yeah. is majority Hindus and yeah. India is Hindu. Sri Lanka is again Buddhism. Maldives, Maldives is again Islam. Yeah. So if I say that South Asia yoga comes from South Asia or yoga is South Asian, I would have to accept that all these countries practice yoga and observe the teachings. However, most of the religions based in these countries are opposed to the teachings of yoga yeah. or Hinduism or Sanatan Dharma. Mm -hmm. So why would I say that yoga is South Asian? The second important thing is that Hindus right now are persecuted minorities in most of these nations in South Asia. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they're persecuted, because they are not converting into yeah. Islamic religion or, you know, into Buddhism or Christianity in some parts of South Asia. So how can I say that yoga is part of South Asia? It, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, to well, it doesn't. So for political reasons, yes, there has been an erasure. And in fact, if you now see, uh, we have the Abrahamic religions and then we have the indigenous culture. So Sanatan Dharma is an indigenous culture. Mm -hmm. And practically everywhere in this globe, the indigenous old cultures have been wiped out. Yeah. Either through colonization, invasion, massacre, forced conversion, everything has happened. Mm -hmm. Although all of that happened in the Indian subcontinent still, mm -hmm because the people in that land were still resilient mm -hmm. regardless of the conversion that happened still majority of them they fought back and yeah. today it would be correct to say hinduism or sanatan dharma is one of the oldest surviving indigenous cultures right now and for political reasons from you know because i've studied politics as well yeah. from the international political understanding mm -hmm. they wouldn't want it to survive because they don't want india to prosper yeah they always want to rule over it because see india is a very strong nation yeah even the now india that we have yeah and they don't want it at a political level so how can they bring it down thrash their culture yeah. bring them down the best way you can yeah. and that is where all of this cultural appropriation takes place so i would not only say that white people are doing that Mm -hmm. but it's going hand in hand with many South Asian countries as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> history is fascinating to me. And a couple of years ago, I made the decision to want to learn more about it. And it's, it's almost like my experience was like 
entering into murky water yeah. almost because it's so most of the history is written from the British white perspective yes and I find it difficult to come across resources that mm. came from Indians mm. um and even in my own family my my grandparents emigrated over to the UK and I would it's safe to say that my my family is a great survivalist and in their survival you know there's a lot of conformity in western culture the pressures to integrate because of surviving um and a byproduct of that is that they didn't not my grandparents but sorry my mom and dad's generation following on that very survivalist nature like you know again integrating making sure you speak well and you present a certain way um no one taught us or my generation a lot of our own heritage yeah. and so it's no surprise that when I was seeking purpose and seeking my roots that I chose a yoga teacher training. <laughs> 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 um and similar not at well a little similar to yourself I grew up with so my my dad is um an Ayurveda practitioner also hey. and he practiced asana went on the first time my dad ever really did anything for himself outside working six days a week he he wanted to develop his practice more and he went over to a couple he went to France he found a yoga retreat that he loved there and went over there a couple of times so it was something that I was it was in the background of Mm -hmm. my upbringing almost and it's funny because when my dad came into his you know became more committed to his practice um it was interesting to watch even as a kid so if my dad talked openly about something like chakras yeah like this dude's weird (laughs) what kind of hippie trippy idiot is this Mm. even amongst other asian people yeah and so it's funny that you cut to like five ten fifteen twenty years later and chakras is so i mean they're everywhere yeah in all kinds of um, spiritual practices and rituals and, and stuff. And it's really, that's interesting in and of itself. Um, I had to correct someone. I was in a, a workshop to do with something very different. It was a, a tarot workshop because tarot is something that I enjoy. Yeah. And um, this particular teacher, I, I, I think quite highly of them in their field. And um, they, they were mentioning the chakras in this workshop and then they mentioned how it was a, a western philosophy and I was like no 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 so immediately I went into the group chat and I was like no it's not it comes from the Vedas it's actually and the Vedas come from here and um and it, there was this like strange oh look at you little like know it all kind of thing and I was like no but because you can't say that the chakras the western philosophy because it's not um but you know you're right and this is what my worry is because today we all know that yes yoga comes from india but my worry is that because of this constant cancelling of the roots of it 50 100 years down the line i do not want to be you know or my generation my future generation all you know they might learn that yoga comes from the west like I know someone, uh, I think, is it Mark Singleton or someone in the book 
the yoga body. I don't know I, I, if I'm right. Mm -hmm. But somewhere he has mentioned, and apparently they all are researchers. Yeah. You know, and how they use this sophistication. Yeah. In order to suppress what the indigenous people are trying to say. Yeah. So they all are researchers these days, but then the language is that the physical postures came from Scandinavia. Now it is a no brainer that yes, in Europe and all, they had cameras first, not yeah. the Himalayan yogis. Yeah. We got cameras <laughs> much later. So yes, we were not documenting everything yeah. so that, you know, it becomes um, palatable for somebody else to understand. Yeah there's a huge problem in yoga communities in the west and coming from india having lived in that country for 30 years of more than 30 years of my life when i moved here i i thought that there would be some degree of respect or at least acknowledgement yeah of you know where it's coming from but when i get to hear that no it does not come from the indian subcontinent or it is not hindu and all different versions of it yeah. it's, it's very disturbing genuinely it is disturbing um and I think uh, the greater picture, what I see the greater picture is, is that basically white culture, <laughs> white people, especially the middle to upper classes have really gone unchecked for a long time and yes. unquestioned for a long time. And so I understand their defensive reactionary, you know, that kind of energy but at some point I do hope there is learning taking place and that there is an openness to conversations or differences mm. rather than holding on to your previous ideas or notions about what you thought yoga was or is. Mm -hmm. I also find it really like it's, it's interesting like not long with well yeah in my experience to get like one of my experiences was um not so great experiences was being corrected on pronunciations of things yeah and i really enjoyed your instagram post on correct pronunciation so <laughs> and what's funny is it wasn't even really specifically to do with yoga but funnily enough uh hindu deity or deities or, yeah. so um i remember saying ganesh and a teacher saying it's ganesha and I was like, no, oh, it's Ganesh. <laughs> and they looked me dead in my eye and they were like, it's Ganesha. And I was like. <sighs> See, but this is the sad part. Like when you belong to that culture yeah. and you get corrected, especially when you know what you're talking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they are in a majority and, you know, their egos are so high. Yeah. Like literally they're blinded by their egos. Mm -hmm. Like, why is it so wrong to just accept? Oh, maybe, you know, Ganesh is a different way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. Other than just completely uh, discrediting the entire existence of that name as well. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, it, it really is appalling sometimes. But it, it also fed into this. So it's like being told one thing. So my teacher's saying things, but then seeing them, seeing them in action, there are... There are clashes there to tell me that um, yoga has no religious affiliation, so it's not Hindu. Mm. But then you have a Ganesh idol in your studio. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
But you know what, what interests me here is that, as you rightly said, like when they say that yoga has got nothing to do with Hinduism, you know, mm-hmm. yoga is a spiritual practice which existed all over the world. The question is that, then why are you calling it yoga? Because yoga comes from a Sanskrit word. And does the whole world speak Sanskrit? No, it only comes from the Indian subcontinent. Secondly, all the texts that they refer to. See, if yoga was a spiritual practice from all across the globe, then why are you not referring to you know, uh, texts or teachings of those cultures, mm-hmm. then why do you refer to Bhagavad Gita yeah. or, you know, the Upanishad or right. the Yoga Sutra, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika? They all are Sanskrit texts which are part of Hinduism. Mm-hmm. So how can you say that yoga is not Hindu and still use the deities, as you mentioned, yeah. and use all the texts as well? I mean, there's so much of discrepancy in their understanding or their behavior yeah. when it comes to these things. Definitely. And like, <clears throat> so yeah, it, it, like I said, it fed into this inner conflict. So it's like going along with what you're a part of and, and even supporting it. Yeah. But inside, you know, there are things that are not connecting. There are things that are clashing. There are things that are outright wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I didn't feel like I had a voice to really explore it or air that stuff out at all. And also at that stage in my life, still very much a people pleaser very (laughs) attached to being a people pleaser um since then i have been coming out of that Mm -hmm. and feel a lot stronger in being able to talk about those experiences but um i also think it's interesting that you bring up what was it how did you say it the differences between those that are born and raised in India like yourself mm-hmm. and then those that aren't predominantly, again, the Western culture. And that includes people like me. So I'm not white. Um, and the difference being privilege. Can you speak on that a little more? <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> well, it's... Um... See, to be honest with you, privilege is something definitely one having an upper hand over the other. Mm-hmm. So if I co- compare the UK and yeah. India, definitely people who are born and raised in the UK, they hold privilege over us. I'll give you an example how, for instance, even though you know there are many South Asians who moved from South Asia to yeah. the UK, as well as British themselves, like mm-hmm. white British themselves, yeah, yeah. they all have facilities such as NHS yes yeah they have minimum wage Mm -hmm. you have universal credits and so basically and fresh water (laughs) you have been supported pampered cushioned from all sides Mm -hmm. if you take a country like India see it has seen many years of discrimination first mm-hmm. through invasion yeah. from you know the moguls because it's not nice when your culture is being destroyed left right and center yeah. to see it happen in front of your eyes it's I really agree. disturbing um, and then when you fight back it's considered self-defense it's not considered a murder there's a difference between that yeah so Indians have always been on this thing of self-defense. Yeah. Everyone has been encroaching upon their land to take away things. Yeah. And that's precisely what happened with colonization. So today, when I see British enjoying their life, it is because of everything that's been stolen or looted, which also is an Indian word. Yeah. Loot, yeah. <laughs> their colonies. 
So yes, they have that privilege. Now, I, if I compare myself with the rest of the country, I also say that I come from a privileged background because it's like, not- I'm really easy. glad that you said, I'm glad that like you, cause I know I've had experience of different people from different castes say, mm. and there's a failure to acknowledge the privilege within that too. No, so like I, when you admitted that, well, not admitted, but when you spoke on that, I had a greater respect for you mm. because even from yourself, like you're saying, and I'm going to let you continue saying, but coming from the caste that you come from, there's yes. a privilege in that also. Absolutely. So I belong to a Brahmin caste. Now, of course, you know, this is not the way it is viewed in the West mm -hmm. because in the West they have given this, again, it's a Western uh, term of caste system, but that's yeah. not how we viewed back in those in the days it's yeah. it was called as a varna system yeah. and we didn't have certain law and order which we had for instance even the law that i studied in india mm -hmm. it was english law because yeah. india never had a legal system mm -hmm. so we had something called as the varna system and i happened to be born in that certain kind of a lineage in india yeah but again to be very honest with you brahmins back then now it's it's interesting that you pointed it out because brahmins back then mm -hmm. they never earned money yeah even though you know we would say that the upper caste if 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 we are to accept that that the upper caste did you know atrocities on the lower caste mm -hmm. still financially speaking they were never landlords yeah because knowledge was always to be given or shared for free yeah. so my ancestors everyone came from a very, very poor background, very poor background. Like my uncle, auntie, my, my dad, they all three of them, they did incredibly well in their academics, yeah. but they would study. They didn't have electricity, even though their friends had it. Yeah. So they have seen difficult life themselves. Yeah. But then my aunt, uncle, and my dad, they chose to break from that, you know, the entire culture that was going on where everything was given for free and things like that. That's when my father got into the IT. My aunt did something else, my uncle. And then we were raised. Yeah. So it would be incorrect to say that just because I'm, I belong to a Brahmin so-called caste, yeah. I have had that privilege, not necessarily. Yeah. Because many Brahmins are poor in mm -hmm. that country. And if we are to believe that, you know, because again, it's, it's a political uh, yeah. propaganda yeah. that upper caste does discrimination on the lower caste and Hindu supremacy equals to British uh, white supremacy and yeah. things like that. The total population of Hindus which are living right now in India, of mm -hmm. them only 3% are Brahmins. Yeah. Wow. Only 3%. So, and India is a huge mm -hmm. mass. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's as big as a continent. Yeah. If we are to say that the upper caste did atrocities on the lower caste, then A, they have to be millionaires, mm -hmm. you know, in order to have that hold on to the lower caste. Yeah. So I won't say that it was not happening around the time of uh, British colonization. Yeah. Yes, I do accept that there were some upper caste people, or I wouldn't even call them upper caste, but people from Brahmin yeah. who did atrocities on other castes. Mm -hmm. But so has not been the case, even though in politics, people would like to you know, scream and yell on top of their yeah. lungs, so is not the case in the last 40, 50 years. And I can say this for sure because I have lived in that country. I have had friends from the so-called lower caste in my classrooms. We have been friends, we have studied together. 
So privilege, it's, it's the way it is understood in the West. It's mm -hmm. not the way we see it in India. Yeah. So in India, if I were to speak from a privileged background, I would say if a person comes from a financially better uh, background, if, yeah. if it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Why? Because for instance, when I have to move to a foreign country, especially, you know, in Europe, mm -hmm. I have, I have to have certain amount in my bank balance before my visa is granted. Yeah. Now my parents, they, you know, came from a very poor financial background, but they, they really worked hard to yeah. get where they were to, they are today. Mm -hmm. And they provided that to my brother and I, and many of my friends as well, their parents have struggled yeah. because of which I am here today. Mm -hmm. And of course, even my, you know, efforts are there. So it's not always the upper lower caste yeah. that is considered as privilege, but it's more financial because yes, there is a huge divide between the rich and the poor in the country. Yeah. And that is what the main problem is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad it's great to hear it. It's so good to hear it, but I really appreciate hearing it. Not just for myself, but the fact that you know this is going to get shared. Um amongst the wider collective. Um, I wanted to also ask you, in your time, in your experience so far, how, have you, is, is the real shift taking place? Are there real changes being made in the yoga industry? In, yeah, in the yoga industry. Do you see changes? Do you see? Especially speaking from last year's point of view, especially, you know, with what happened with George Floyd and all the topics that were coming up. In fact, I was speaking with you earlier. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of hue and cry last year and everyone yeah. wanted to work towards BLM and stop cultural appropriation and this and that. Yeah. But unfortunately, I'm not seeing that change happen. Um, so I don't know if it's only at a superficial level yeah. that all that support and everything was because I unfortunately am seeing things going back to the same thing now that they are opening up. I, I, again, I would not like to generalize because there are sure. some people that I know who are genuinely working towards yeah. it. But on the whole, um, um, I still have my doubts. Mm -hmm. What's funny is I'm not even, one, I'm not even in, I'm not even in Edinburgh. I haven't been for over a year. Um, I've got nothing to do with the yoga industry <laughs> and I sense it. Um, so yeah, like you said, a year ago, there was a lot of noise, a lot of, yeah, a lot of, for lack of a better term, a lot of noise around these topics mm. um, and accountability circles were being held and things were seemingly starting to shift or yeah. get done and now that a year's gone by or almost a year's gone where is that change still happening and I yeah I suspect it isn't again like yourself there is there are definitely I do not doubt for an instant that there are people that are out there doing sincere work and sincerely learning and sincerely teaching and and educating themselves um right. But on the whole, the yoga industry is a very big industry and it's yeah. a very lucrative industry. Absolutely. And I think 
I mean, I'm not, I don't know what it will take for them to change because that's when you're in, like when money is involved, especially that level of money. Mm-hmm. And even on like your level, like teacher level, when people earn a living from their teaching and their involvement in yoga, I can see why people don't want to ask questions of themselves or necessarily make changes because that means making bigger changes in their lives. And that can be terrifying. But But, you know, this surprises me because from the way I have been born, you know, brought up in India or um, the principles that I learned, Mm -hmm. we were never taught anything to do half-heartedly. Yeah. Means, for instance, if yoga, if yoga was not part of my culture, mm-hmm. say if I was, a, you know, not Indian or not yeah. Hindu, yeah. and if I studied yoga, I would completely immerse myself into it, mm-hmm. learn about it. The problem that I see in the West often is that most people becoming yoga teachers mm-hmm. because they are sick and tired of their previous life. Yes. So being a yoga teacher sounds very fancy, mm-hmm. but they are not there because they genuinely wanted to learn what it is. Yeah. So what happens is that, yes, the physical practice is fairly easy. I won't say for all, but then it's still fairly easy compared to, you know, the philosophical aspect of it. Yeah. And as in practice is literally 3% of the entire philosophy or the lifestyle. So mm-hmm. they cling on to it. They're, yeah. okay, I just become an asin teacher. And, but then this is where my problem starts because... Yeah. I'm like, look, there's nothing wrong in teaching the physical postures. Not at all. Fine. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then don't call yourself a yoga teacher because you are not practicing what you're preaching. You're not walking the talk. Yeah. You are calling yourself a yoga teacher, but then you're teaching a physical asana class mm-hmm. where you are also combining that asana practice with functional training and animal flow and yeah. tai chi yoga and yoga lattes and whatnot yeah. goes on with it. So if you are using yogic postures or one aspect of yoga into your profession, then just say that, look, I'm a fitness teacher, but then I, my classes are inspired from yoga. Yeah, certainly. Don't call yourself a yoga teacher because then you are not doing justice to the very profession because you're using the name of yoga, but you're not delivering that to your clients. And then that's how wrong knowledge spreads because then students think that, oh, this is what my teacher is teaching and she's a yoga teacher. So this is what yoga is. Mm-hmm. But it, it isn't. Yeah. So there is this huge problem happening. So at least the way you know I was raised, or all my friends for that matter, my cousins, we mm-hmm. were always told, you want to study politics, you want to study law, do it because you want to know about the subject. Yeah. Don't care about the money that's going to come afterwards. Mm-hmm. But before even, okay, if I pay 2,500 pounds as my yoga teacher training, then I will be starting to uh, start, you know, teach in yoga studio straight away after that. Yeah. You don't have an experience. You have yeah. absolutely nothing. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, yoga teacher training is just the starting point of that journey. Definitely. It's I not definitely, yeah, for sure. Sorry, I cut you off there. And as far as, you know, you, you mentioned about um, the problems that we see in uh, yoga communities right now, if there is at all going to be a change, I'll, I get, spoke with you, you know, before you yeah. hit the record button. Initially, when all this topic around George Floyd and all started, people wanted to listen to me because I belong to a certain culture. I have been teaching over 15 years of my life. As far as philosophy is concerned, my entire life. 
they wanted to listen to me. But the moment I got appointed as the head of Tribe Academy, which mm -hmm. was initially criticized, yeah. suddenly I started to hear this that, oh, Tribe Yoga has taken Madhura because of the color of her skin mm -hmm. as a token. Mm -hmm. So do, there's so much of problem in people's understanding. So initially when I was not part of Tribe, yeah. I was respected for my knowledge and experience. Yeah. And the moment I, I joined Tribe, they disregarded the fact that, oh, maybe they took her because of that same experience and knowledge and not because of the color of her skin. Mm -hmm. But then suddenly it was like, oh, perhaps they're paying her more or, yeah. you know, because she comes from that culture, that's why she's being appointed. Yeah. And this all comes down from the issue, as I mentioned previously, is ego. They yeah. just don't know how to keep their egos in check. And what happens in the clashes, it's been mentioned, mm -hmm. your ego is asmita. Yeah. And your ego leads to avidya, wrong knowledge, incorrect mm -hmm. knowledge. And it's like a whirlpool then. Yeah. You're stuck in it. It's okay to be stuck in it because we are humans. <laughs> yeah, of course. Then don't teach yoga because you are carrying out a wrong message then. Mm -hmm. Teach anything else. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Not yoga. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that you just said that I want to pick up on is like, um, like I said, I I I chose to do the yoga teacher training because I was panicking about my life. Like, what what what, what do I do? What do I do? I need to do something. I need to do something. Um, and even like I like I enjoy stand up comedy and a comedian a, a comedy show that I was enjoying. The comedian even said, and it's funny to make this comparison because these are two things. It was it was like the universe was like making a personal joke for me it was quite funny so I when I did my yoga teacher training how I paid for it was so I used to be uh, a stripper I used to be a dancer mm -hmm. um, I used to work in a gentleman's bar uh, I don't know why I say gentleman's bar because they were <laughs> but um so I paid for that course right through stripping um and so this comedian said you know you know we judge sex workers and we think god what did it take to to get you to where you are. He was like, I think that about yoga teachers. You must have had some fucking journey, Becky, to, <laughs> to end up sitting in front of these people trying to teach them about mudras. And it's like, I couldn't stop laughing. And I just thought, do, do you know me? Like, <laughs> you're watching my life. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's, and I, I'm, I can't imagine the experiences you have been witness to, like you said, to to be so um, to be revered, to be brought to the front forefront, and to be yeah. like really sought after. And I'm sure your DMs were like very full. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but and then to then be associated or to be connected to a certain organization, and then for a big shift to happen and to question your you know, your position there. Mm. Um, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. But it's, I think there's also that people in general um, aren't in the habit of minding their own business. Yeah. So they would have had no idea about the process in the background that went on between you and those at Tribe Academy. But see, that's the thing because um... At least I'm kind of a person if I don't know the entire truth. Yeah. Or 
I wouldn't say the entire truth because it's quite relative. Yeah. <laughs> uh, both sides of the story. Yes. And if it's nothing to do with me, I keep myself out of it. Yeah. And that's precisely what yoga is. Mm -hmm. You know, if I wanted to backbite, if I wanted to bitch around, I would have gotten into another profession. Law is perfect for that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, how's law? <laughs> you know, I was, I was happy there. Yeah. If I yeah. wanted to do that. Yeah. It, I chose this profession for a reason. Yeah. And whether I earn out of it or not, regardless of that, because see, at the end of the day, yoga is part of me. Yeah. It's part of my genes. It's, yeah. you know, in my DNA. It's yeah. not going away anywhere, even if somebody says something. So mm -hmm. I really do not care about it. Mm -hmm. What affects me is that when that wrong knowledge of my culture or mm -hmm. rather my culture is being used to make a mockery out of. Yeah. And that is what affects me. I'm like, you've, you're using it. We are not telling you don't use it. Use it. Yeah, yeah. But do it ethically. Yeah. You know, not according to your understanding of what yoga is, but actually understanding what yoga is and then delivering it accordingly. Yeah. That's definitely something that even when I was doing my training, it's like, almost like learn what you need to learn and then you can do whatever you want with it. And it's like, um, can, can I though? Should I? <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's okay. It's this, you know, uh, trend Very. in the West when you see, oh, yoga is all about chilling and flowing and this and that. No, yoga is a discipline. It's discipline, a lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's not everybody's cup of tea, but if it isn't, then just don't get yourself into it. As simple exactly. as that. But if you're into it, might as well do justice to what you're doing. A lot of people don't realize that, again, I've heard people talk about, talk about it in the yoga industry, in yoga classes or groups or whatever, that, you know, it is a commitment. It is a discipline. But even in those conversations, it's still... I'm not saying all of those conversations, but most of those conversations are still very superficial. I mm. find, and I did find, it was all very performative. You get this language that sounds great and it sounds really cool and it sounds like you know what you're talking about. And they don't. <laughs> I mean, for the first time when I got here, because I've been traveling to Edinburgh for the last few years now, yeah. before I made my move last year, Every time, you know, everyone is so concerned about wearing Lululemon clothes yeah. and brand ambassadors and everything. Yeah. And coming from that culture, I'm like, is that what yoga is? Because no, it isn't. It's fine to be. Again, I'm not against Lululemon or Sweaty Betty or any of these yeah. brands. It, it's a brand and fine, you know, you're yeah. selling clothes. But that is not yoga. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I see in a lot of teachers, in especially in Edinburgh, because I'm here now, uh, wanting to wear Lululemon clothes. So that does that mean if you don't wear Lululemon clothes, you cannot live a yogic lifestyle? Of course, you're not part of the clique. <laughs> you're not part That's of the clique. Exactly, yes. And if you're not part of it, they don't want you to be part of it. So you are treated as an outsider. And honestly, I don't mind being treated as an outsider because yes, I do come from a different country. Yeah. So before I decided to move here, I knew what I was getting myself into. I wasn't a fool. Yeah. But seeing it happen so rampant because it, it you know, it, you can see that little bit of microaggression towards you 
or that level of racism. They may not mm. like to say that, but, but there, there. there is, there is, yes. I found that, so again, coming to the end of my time, so when I was doing my teacher training, which started in 2018, I also moved into a very middle-class area in Edinburgh. And I think I was, I wasn't even there a month. And bearing in mind, this is coming to my, the end of my 15 years there. But I was on the phone to my mum one night and it was summer, so I was outside making the most of the summer evenings, walking around. And there was this feeling inside of me and it was really growing. And I was like, mom, ah, oh. I was like, am I racist for saying this? I don't know. And I was like, I'm just gonna say it. I'm so, I'm tired. I'm exhausted from being around white people. I'm exhausted. All the microaggressions, all the looks that it like, just, oh, I can't. I just don't wanna be around it. I'm tired of being around it. Um, and she laughed at me and she's like, no, it's not racist. And you are very much entitled to feel that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's interesting being in a space like Edinburgh, which, it, I mean, they say it's a city, but really it's, from being there, it's, it's a big town, but it's, it's almost like being able to kind of close look at society in this closed environment of this, mm -hmm. this small city. Um, but yeah, it's very, my experience, again, like we were saying, um, People mistaking um, community, yeah, um, and in fact being really involved in a clique, and it seems like the clique's uniform is Lululemon or Sweaty Betty or any other like, you know, trendy, seemingly ethical brand. <laughs> um, which it's funny that Lululemon gets tied at tied as an ethical brand um, when you know. I, from my own research, I know that they don't even pay their workers a living wage or anything close to it. Um, yeah, that was interesting. I, I knew a few people who'd been Lululemon ambassadors and everyone was like, it's a really good like yoga career move. You should totally like gun for it. And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> Again, I always felt like I was sitting on the edge hmm. of whatever was going on. Um, and never really wanting to fully put both feet in, in a sense, like going for the Lululemon ambassador stuff or, um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a tricky landscape to navigate, especially being not white. It's interesting because uh, personally, yeah. I have seen decent or rather fair amount of racism in yeah. your communities yeah. but not outside of your communities yeah. for instance my partner he's white scottish they all are white scottish yeah and so not once has anybody ever made me feel you know that i did not belong there mm -hmm. always everyone has been extremely welcoming yeah. and they've been really nice but then i do not see that in yoga communities no but they still want us to be those tokens. Yeah. And I've definitely, I feel like I've definitely been used as a token. Um, I'm like, yeah, again, I'm brown. I'm tall. So most, for the most part, you can't really miss me. <laughs> I'm very visible. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, a lot of, a lot of microaggressions I experienced and, or, or even like, being totally um ignored 
and not yeah. like online conversation. I'm talking about in my face. I've I've been speaking to someone and I have been outright blanked. That person stood up and left. No. Like physically remember, and I was like, I thought we were I got no explanation or nothing. That person just blanked me and I was like, wow. Okay. Mm. All right. Um yeah, it's it's so it's a, See, this is the thing like the experience that you've had yeah. the person who did that to you how can you even teach them these things because these are basic values yeah. that you learn regardless like you're, you're, you're the thing it's just a, being a human being <laughs> yeah. it makes sense you know when you're sitting with someone when you're having a normal conversation you speak Mm-hmm. Once that's finished, that's when you move on. Yeah. But some people, I mean, see, that's the thing. Respect cannot be taught. No. Principles, values cannot be taught. Sometimes you have to observe and learn them. Mm-hmm. Your parents will teach you to some degree. Your society will teach yeah. you to some degree. But that does not mean you are going to follow it. It's mm-hmm. your inner conscience that has to yeah. tell you that this is what I want to do because this is what I feel is right for me. Yeah. And that is what lacks in yoga communities. Yeah. I, I, I don't see that respect towards one another. No. Because everything has been commodified so much. Mm-hmm. And right. that's a major issue, yeah. Yeah. And it is very much, it's definitely not what you know, it's who you know, which yeah. is also something that is quite, it can be quite scary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And hard, and again, something else that's challenging to navigate. You have to know the, get in quote, you know, finger brackets or whatever, like the right people, or not even the right people, the seemingly cool people. Yeah. Like, so I remember someone asking me, like, um, do you not want to be part of like, you know, yoga community, like the core communities? And yeah. I was like, what is that core community? Because genuinely, I don't even see what that community is because yeah, it's it? just people together, but yeah. there is no community holding them. They may show on Instagram yeah. or yeah. on social media. Oh, we act as a community. We are so yeah. close knit. But behind each other's backs, they all are talking mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Where is that community? Because tomorrow, if you are my friend, I'm not going to be talking bad about you. And that is what makes us a close-knit community, doesn't it? Yeah. But you don't get to see that, unfortunately. Um, and that's why I prefer keeping myself out as much as possible. Like even when I'm teaching in yoga studios or something, I, I seldom hang out with anyone who's also teaching. Yeah. Because I see them as my colleagues. That's it. I meet you at my workplace. But once I'm out, I have my own personal life. Yeah. 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 I found it interesting when I was teaching um, how maybe, I mean, just getting a glimpse of like behind the scenes, like a little peek behind the curtain. And it is like, I don't want such and such at this studio or this person doesn't teach it x y and z studios because of this and it's ah oh, why don't isn't this tiring isn't this boring like i just feel bad see again you know coming from the background that i come from um my livelihood is not this fortunately yeah. for me i just feel bad for people who are in a similar situation such as me yeah but whose livelihood is this and they still have to deal with all of this because see for me it's very easy I can just shut off and I can be out yeah you know it's it's not gonna affect I mean it will but not in a major way Mm -hmm. 
but i genuinely my heart goes out to those people who are part of it and are not yeah. treated well because it's just not fair it's just no, not it's fair not. no i think people were i know some people um in my life at the time with uh, colleagues associates or whatever a lot of people and would be confused as to once i got my qualification why i wasn't teaching full time mm-hmm. and i'm like one all of a sudden i mean Ed, like we said edinburgh is not the biggest place in the world um and there's all of a sudden a lot of yoga teachers there <laughs> so there's and i don't think i do think there's still space for everyone for the most part but then it's again it's who you know mm. and then the politics between different cliques or different studios or yeah. da, 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 da. and people just found it really so surprising that i was still working a full-time job and then teaching a few classes mm. um very naively at first when i first came out of my training i was like i do want to eventually teach full time and then when you start teaching and then you know you start getting an experience of what things are actually like i'm like I, do i want to teach full time because then i then then i have to really commit to the industry not yoga but this industry and become a full-fledged business person and i'm going to have to market myself to appease the white masses because they're the ones who are going to be paying me and i don't know if i want to do that so again it was no surprise to me when i get in the car to leave edinburgh for good first thing i think is you <laughs> i'm out <laughs> don't yeah. have to teach yeah it's it's interesting because uh, if you notice like you know after everything that happened last year mm-hmm. with um, George Floyd and then the cultural appropriation racism everything that was coming up mm-hmm. everyone wanted someone from that culture to be part of their groups to be yeah. teaching in their studios yeah. and today if you just check all teacher train uh, sorry uh, yoga studios mm-hmm. in edinburgh forget about rest of uh, scotland or the uk yeah. just within edinburgh how many times do you see an indian teacher teaching do you really i mean are these people really kidding me when they say that oh there are no indian teachers or there are no indians come on indians are everywhere <laughs> there's loads like, of us exactly there are everywhere the problem is that the way you have created these communities indians and specifically hindu yes because you and i we both are part of that group or that no. community we don't feel we are accepted no in many cases because instead of understanding whether i hold that knowledge or experience the first thing they see is the color of my skin yeah and then they decide if they want to learn or if they want to hire me or they don't want to hire me mm-hmm. and this is not just my personal experience but i have spoken with some and they all say the same thing so it cannot be that just you know all these people are wrong and white people are all right mm-hmm. but there is a major problem there yeah. because if that that commitment had started that yes you know we are not racist as everyone was saying last year yeah. then why do i not see any indians right now teaching and why i pers- you know specifically say indians is yes because yoga comes from there you are using their culture yeah if it was some other field you know i would have said okay fine half people from ethnic backgrounds mm-hmm. but when it comes from india they have those lived experiences because it is part of their culture yeah and why do i not just see them anywhere yeah and i even like 
I, in my early stages of thinking about it, I was like, you know, let's face it, Edinburgh's a really white place. Yeah. And even in my 15 years there, I did see it change. I would have said it was a more cosmopolitan place because there were people from different backgrounds there, but again, not necessarily non-white. Um, and again, that's changed. I think there are more black people, there are more brown people. And like I said, Indians are everywhere. The only Indian teacher I knew or was from his heritage was Indian. To hear the way he was spoken about. Really? This, and it from this angle is, he's a very attractive man. And all I hear is a lot of white women go, of course I go to his class. He's fit. And he makes me work hard. And even like they work harder in his class because there's this, I want to please my really good looking teacher. Right. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I've been to this person's classes. I just personally enjoyed the classes. Not to say I didn't think, you know, I've, I've got eyes, they're attractive. But it's the way that this person has been sexualized mm -hmm. because they're exotic. Yeah. Because they're Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow. Interesting. Okay. Mm. Does that have anything to do with his yoga knowledge? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know. All I hear is that he's hot and I, I want to be in his class. Wow. And I absolutely agree. You know, I, I have always maintained this thing that just because someone is south asian just because someone is a hindu mm -hmm. does not necessarily mean they will have yoga knowledge mm -hmm. fortunately in my case i belong to a certain lineage so yeah. i have you know been part of it yeah for instance i went to a christian school in india mm -hmm. and um because you know christianity or the way indian politics works they always thought that yoga has got something to do with hindu religion mm -hmm. so if that is introduced in schools then in that case you're not following your religion. Mm -hmm. And therefore, because I was in a Christian school, yoga was never taught to me or was part of my school days, yeah. all 10 years of it. And most of my Hindu friends mm -hmm. have never learned about yoga. So it's a myth that all Indians know about yoga. No, yeah. India is, you know, we are a unity in diversity because we are many religions living together in that land. Of course, Hinduism yeah. is a minority, but we are many people living together there. Yeah. So I, I always maintain that not just because somebody is a Hindu or just because someone is Indian or from a particular part of the, you know, yeah. of South Asia, um, they have yoga knowledge. Mm -hmm. But in most of the cases, they do have certain amount of lived experience yeah. in one way or another. And that is precisely what yoga is. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It, yeah. My time with yoga taught me a lot and not just necessarily about yoga. It, it helped me develop as a human. Right. And um, for better or worse, like I, I sometimes think this sounds absolutely crazy, but we come to the information when we come to it. And yeah. it doesn't really matter what age you are. But it just so happened. I was in my early 30s before I knew what a boundary was. Right. And I learned about what a boundary was in a very interesting way. And then it's set off a set of realizations in me that I realized psychologically my entire life, I've been enmeshed 
Mm. And that's why, because I used to have these points where I was like, I I get confused a lot because sometimes I'm like, in terms of emotionally, why do I feel this thing? Mm-hmm. Why do I feel like that person so intensely, but I'm not that person? Okay. Um, so it taught me things maybe outside of the more traditional yoga teachings. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I like making my peace with it. I, I always say I don't regret anything about my past because I wouldn't be who I am today. Um, so for better or for worse, even if I find my experience traumatic, it mm. also helped me. And thankfully, I've been able to learn from it. And like I was saying before, I even just taking away the financial aspect of it, for a lot of people, and it, like myself included, it can help people learn about themselves their traumas specifically trauma because that's a really powerful connector for people so I can understand when people maybe are resilient to wanting to change their minds their beliefs whatever around something that they felt that helped them so profoundly but I I do want to be even though I'm not involved I still want to be some kind of voice that encourages people to know. You, you can still, no one's trying to take your experience away from you. Absolutely. But you can still learn and correct yourself and be corrected, be open to being corrected. No one's trying to take, you know, yeah, like I said, no one's trying to take anything away from you, trying to add to your experience and make it a, a more well-rounded, well-informed experience. I think that's what people forget sometimes in getting defensive. This is not to like point fingers or call you out for no reason. There's there's a bigger conversation happening. And all these things are happening. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? it's, it's not something just out of nowhere. We are yeah. not <laughs> living in an illusion. It is happening. And this, this has been part of the major problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell people that it's never too late to change and don't change to prove something to somebody else. No. To yourself mm-hmm. more than anything. Totally. I get from experience, it it comes to you when it comes to you. Absolutely. Yeah. And someone could tell you something every day for 20 years. And it may not click until that one day that it does for whatever reason. That's why um, you have a saying, no, that when you're prepared, teacher appears. Exactly. A teacher could be in form of anything. Anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, I was just looking at the time there. Uh, <laughs> we've been talking for a while. Um, is there anything that you want to share before we maybe close this up? I think we've practically covered, <laughs> we've covered a lot, yeah. More than what we had thought about. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad though. Um, nice. I'm very thankful for this this opportunity and this conversation. Thank you for inviting me. It was lovely speaking with you. It's been great speaking with you. Oh, um, thank you so much, Madela. Um, I'm gonna put your information in and link it to the episode and, and all that kind of thing, so people can find you if they want to find you. Uh, Madhura is on Instagram, um, Madhura Bhagwa 06, I believe. Yes. If you want to find uh, Madhura, 
on social media and um, her teachings um, and more of her content because it's it's really great great content and very valuable content um something I wanted to ask you actually before we leave and it's a quick thing are there any other I would say Indian yoga teachers that you would maybe direct people towards as because I'm aware that you are like as far as I can see you're like the only face and the only voice and I'm so appreciative for you but I'm like I know you're not the only one <laughs> um as of now to be honest because we have been in a lockdown situation mm -hmm. uh, and I have personally been busy with my oh, yeah. life as well because I have been a university student and then you know my <laughs> other projects going on so I have not really had the time to engage much in your uh, Edinburgh community yeah. right now just to see which teachers are. I know there was one, um, Kanishk, his his name is Kanishk, if I'm not wrong. And he started teaching in Kamon Kanan Street. But again, he is mainly into grounding practices, like yeah. developing someone for meditation. Okay. As far as Asana is concerned, um, some people have mentioned a few names, but I don't know them personally, or yeah. I have not experienced their teacher teaching myself. Yeah. So it would not be right for me to say at this point. Yeah, that's fair enough. I was just curious. Yeah. In all honesty. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, Madura, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>